open web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek. And I'm Doug. And is your spider sense tingling? You bet, bub. <laughs> to listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. And of course, we'd like to thank our spectacular patrons, Katie and Gemma Nicole, for supporting this podcast, as well as thanking all of our patrons for supporting this show. If you're interested in becoming a patron, check us out at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. Today. Key change. Just kidding. Yes, we're doing it. <laughs> yes. So, yes, we are doing. So if you listen to our last episode, our New Year's Eve episode, we have a special little commentary episode. Well, I wouldn't call it little, but it was a special commentary episode <laughs> uh, where we where we did a live watch of these two episodes that we're actually talking about today. So if you want to hear our complete knee-jerk reactions to the Spider-Man the Animated Series X-Men crossover, um, we watched them like for the first time for this podcast. So for both of us, it had been years. I think for mm-hmm. you, it was like couple decades yep so you can listen to that for like our immediate reactions but now we are doing our usual deep dive so for this week and for next week we'll be covering both of these episodes like in depth there's a ton of interesting production background on it and everything so the usual digging with a fine tooth comb that we normally do Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so and i think we did we did touch on this in the last episode but i guess just like a quick recap neither of us really have like a super intense relationship with the x-men cartoon of the 90s you i think you said you didn't really watch it that much at I all when it was didn't on. really watch it at all yeah like i'm sure that i incidentally watched it but it was never a thing i made any effort whatsoever to watch <laughs> yeah and and it was not i watched i think i i was a little more invested than you were but very casually like i this wasn't for whatever reason it wasn't a show that i was really obsessed with or like trying to trying to catch like week to week as it was on i still watched it when it came on um and i would catch reruns and stuff but unlike a lot of other cartoons where like as i got older i would still go back and either rewatch them or look up stuff about them or try to learn about them i was just never that interested in the show itself mm-hmm. i liked some of the characters and i liked the concept of the x-men in general um and i ended up reading some x-men comics and i liked the movies and stuff like that like later on but for some reason that show didn't catch my attention in in the same way that other ones did so it is kind of weird because i feel like it's such a quintessential like 90s kids show and like fox kids show and that's like what both of us are so yeah. it's really strange that we didn't <laughs> get like as super into it as most kids i think got at the time yeah that is weird and and i know like everyone i i hung out with watched it so i don't know how i didn't get sucked in it, it's so so bizarre the only thing that I, I so i watched like just a random episode today before we recorded just kind mm-hmm. of out of curiosity to compare it to these episodes 
what I wonder maybe is that maybe I, as a kid, didn't really like, like, kind of, like, the griminess of it. Because it is a very, like, the backgrounds are all really dirty and, like, just mm. kind of, like, kind of sketchy. The character designs, like, always have really heavy shadow and, sh- and are very shaded. Yeah. In a way that I think, like, now, I think actually looks really cool. I think the character designs and the the entire, and like, the whole full design of the world, I think, looks a lot better than Spider-Man does. Hmm. And it's also, like, a lot more muted, I notice. Like, the the way that they had to translate the designs from that show to Spider-Man, like, they they amped up the colors, sometimes changed the colors of their outfit a little bit and kind of redesigned them to be a little more bright and cartoony. Um, Whereas the, the original show, like was very much not like that. It was very muted and kind of dark and it was still colorful because they were wearing colorful costumes, sure. but like they were not bright shades of colors. And like I said, they had a lot of, would always have a lot of like shadows and heavy shading. And it's just like, I think that maybe that kind of like weird darkness, but not like the artful darkness that the Batman show had, just right. kind of like the feeling of like dirty, like slimy grittiness, <laughs> maybe turned me off as a kid. Then yeah. coupled with like all the, all the music, which, is like on point and really good, but it was also like really kind of like a dark sounding music, you know? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. maybe all of those things was just like made it more of a turn off than, than it would have been. Yeah, I'll have to watch it now because I'm sure it all feels very stylized. But at the time, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if for me it was just the style of the heroes themselves. Because like, I know you said like the designs are nice, but it's never been a style that I've liked. Like as a kid to an adult, like it's it's an era of character design that I've just never vibed with all that much. Sure. And I, I realized that probably was just as true when I was a kid as it is now. Because if, if I think of the superheroes that I did gravitate towards, they were all sort of products of before that type of design. Mm. And and they they kept that design. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Spider-Man never got more pockets or straps. Like he didn't have them to begin with. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And uh, you know, Superman didn't get like a face frame thing, whatever that's called. I don't even know what you call that thing that that Jean Grey and Gambit have. Oh god. What is that know. called? I have no idea. Chin I strap? Know. I don't know. <laughs> Point pointless is what it's called. But <laughs> But that type of design never, never really struck me, Um, even with like comics, because I had friends who had comics and stuff like that certainly wasn't the stuff that I was gravitating towards. I think I would appreciate it now, but sort of in spite of the design, not because of it. I think that's fair. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the designs of the eight, like late 80s, early 90s were just kind of generally ugly. Yeah. In general. Yeah. yeah. And, and X-Men definitely did pick up on that. So did Spider-Man really in terms of like having like over-designed, like super Abbey armor and sure. And, and, and stuff like that. So it, yeah, it, it is a weird, it's a, it's a weird thing. And X-Men, I think definitely doubled down on that a lot more. So <laughs> that makes a lot of so sense. So many characters to add so many pockets to, you know, <laughs> there's probably right. like a hundred pockets on screen at any given point. <laughs> I don't know that the I don't think the show was that as bad with pockets. Yeah, they I'm were sure bad good. with like unnecessary like pieces of armor though. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely noticed that. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's also weird. Jean Grey in Spider Man has like just a yellow and blue and black outfit. Yeah, in the X Men cartoon, I, I I knew this in my head, but I thought I was maybe remembering it wrong. But like 
her outfit is that kind of black and blue and then like flesh colored like or i guess like white people flesh colored it's weird that we call flesh that like flesh yeah. colored is just like a white person <laughs> it is it's a crazy lot of world we live in huh? we gotta work out like work out you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like it's the same color as her her skin basically which is weird like i don't yeah. understand that that's just a weird thing i noticed but <laughs> yeah i thought that her design was like there was a part of my brain that was surprised at her design and i guess i didn't realize why but i guess that's that's probably it there's probably a part of my brain that recognized that she looked different. She's the only one that they really changed the colors on. Wolverine, they stripped the hair off of in, in Spider-Man. Um, he hmm. does have, like, arm hair and stuff in X-Men. Because, um, again, it's like a dirtier, grimier show, I guess. And hairy sure. people are, are gross, according to these character designers. <laughs> Beast looks a little bit different, but, like, it's mostly mostly the same. Some of, like, the lines are a little bit different, and some of the places he's colored in are different. Um, but for the most part, everyone else looks pretty much the same um, yeah. in Spider-Man. Just like the brightness seems to be amped up <laughs> a lot when they bring them over. Crank up that saturation, please. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this was um this is this is this is a big pair of episodes. It's a well-remembered pair of episodes. We have, we have a bunch of like background trivia and information on the writers of it and some of the making of it as well. So really I guess we can just kind of dive right into that now as we normally do. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So, like I said, these were big episodes, and there's been, like, multiple interviews where John Semper has fully admitted that it was a stunt for ratings. <laughs> uh, makes sense. X-Men was really popular on Fox Kids. Like, I don't think that that can be understated how popular that show was and how much it kind of changed the landscape of, like, superhero cartoons. It, alongside Batman. I think they might have, I think they even came out the same year. Sure. But um, Batman had, like, a budget. X-Men didn't really have a budget. That was <laughs> difference (laughs) but yeah so it was a stunt for ratings um but even it it, it's this this so pieces of this kind of bugs me a lot so these were two of the most expensive episodes of the show i'm floored um of spider-man the reason being that they had the full cast of x-men flown down from canada where that show was recorded to los angeles to record i have so many questions and well no i have one question why? Why, uh-huh. like, why is that necessary? Because this was 1995, and even though technology is very different, even in 1995, people could do remote recording. Like, they did not have to record. They did not have right. to go to a specific recording booth. To the, my only, They my, already recorded in a recording booth. Right. Like, it's not like they were, they were sending in live action folks from a show to do an animated show. Like, right. I'm so confused. Like, it had to cost less to fly tapes down than it would have to fly people down. Hmm. Especially when those people are saying maybe, like, four or five lines total. <laughs> well, Let's be I real. suspect they did more. And we don't get all of it? Maybe. Do you get the same vibe? I kind of, these, mm, I kind of do. I haven't seen any kind of thing that states that, but I wouldn't be surprised if this there was like a third part to the episode or it was supposed to be a little longer or something. I don't know. It does, it does feel like weird how underused some of the characters are. Yeah, yeah. The, my only other guess would be that, that they thought it was important to have them all in the same room together maybe. But even then, Spider-Man only interacts with like, a couple of the characters regularly for the most right. part they're barely talking to each other it's just the x-men cast talking to each other so i i wonder how much of it was like a all or nothing type thing where it was like we want to fly down our beast guy and our wolverine guy and they were like no if you're flying us down you're flying us all down 
Maybe. I don't know why they would insist that, though. That seems silly. It seems like it would be sort of a pain in the butt for everybody involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really weird. I don't I don't I don't want to fall into like too much of a rabbit hole with this, but like the behind the scenes stuff with X-Men is fascinating. Hmm. Another thing that made me really and, and this almost kind of sheds a light on just how like just bizarre all of this is. So the result of the of how expensive these episodes were was that in season five, when they do like the Secret Wars three parter where they have a bunch of Marvel heroes crossing over. Sure. Obviously, they wanted to get most, if not all, of the X-Men involved in that one way or another, um, and Fox refused on the grounds that it was super expensive to fly down from Canada. I assume, like, the other other Marvel shows that they brought in the actors for maybe were in Los Angeles already, mm-hmm. is my best guess. So, But there's the, the, the reason that X-Men was recorded in Canada is interesting, because it was apparently cheaper to do it there, or cheaper to use Canadian actors. And oh, it the, wasn't just, like, an homage to Logan? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> yeah, right. No, this this was a sub, a, a Haim Saban production. Mm. Keep in mind, so mm. everything is based on making it as cheap as possible, <laughs> which resulted in in that Secret Wars three parter. They are able to bring Storm in. The reason that they do that is because they were able to get her second voice actress, who is in Los Angeles, to play her, as opposed to the third voice actress, who we hear in this episode, who's like the main voice actress. The reason that there are three, and all three of them were in the first season, this is just this is just fascinating. This has no like relevance on the episode we're talking about, but it's, <laughs> it's just like it kind of blew my mind by how weird it all is. So the, originally, they recorded the entire first season with an actor who I think has remained unnamed. Oh. But they recorded the entire season realized after recording that they were like, oh, wait, so Storm is like a black woman and the actress that we have oh, is a white no. woman. Maybe this isn't a great idea. Which Wait, hold on. <laughs> they recognized that in the mid 90s? That's the thing. I It sucks that they that waited. super woke for the 90s. <laughs> right? That's my thing is that it's like it sucks that like it took the entire first season of recording to do that. But like. Real cool that you recognized it at all, honestly. I'm, I'm stunned that anybody mentioned that. Yeah, this is at least according to like a couple of articles that I've found. There was like a CBR article that recapped it. Sure. Um, there, was a, there was an oral history of X-Men that came out for the 25th anniversary, I think, a couple of years ago. And I, I feel like that might have talked about it too. So it's like not like a super confirmed story because we don't have the actor's sure. name, but it's it sounds like it's pretty confirmed. Huh. Yeah. Gosh, I wonder who it was. Right? I mean, it was probably a Canadian person who oh, who's yeah, never been point. in anything is the thing. Which <laughs> I was gonna leads... say, like, what if it was just like like Helen Mirren? You know what I mean? And like <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> Helen Mirren as Storm. Yes. Yikes. <laughs> but then that leads to the second thing. So they did cast a person named I think Iona Morris, mm-hmm. um, who who's the the actress who plays Storm in Spider-Man, the season five episode, because uh, she's in Los Angeles. But because she was American, after they had her record the entire first season and even part of the second, they Jeez. ran they ran the, those episodes, like, and they were huge hits, which made a uh, production company, a.k.a. Saban, realize that, like, oh, this show is going to be really popular. We're going to want to rerun the hell out of it. American actors get like residuals for every single episode that is rerun. Ugh. Canadian actors either don't or don't get as much. So they're like, ooh, 
let's not <laughs> let's not do this because everybody else is Canadian. So they fired that actress, uh, had uh, had all of those lines for episodes that have already aired re-recorded with this this new actress who's in this episode who is canadian and then for all future reruns and releases all versions that you hear are not the first run episodes they are the episodes with the new storm recorded over her and she's the one who remains storm for the rest of the series that is absolutely out of control (laughs) (laughs) someone needed to stop him (laughs) this this is totally unrelated but just like it's just like juicy because it's so fucked up he also after x-men got really popular normally you'd be like okay the people on the the shows gets a bigger budget people get raises for doing a good job Mm -hmm. um he actually cut the pay of the writers under the under the threat saying that this is a very popular show are you going to risk leaving this very popular show that's guaranteed to run a few seasons and give you notoriety and great cred leave because the pay is less or do you want to stay here even with the lesser pay but work on a hit show oh Um, my gosh right wow Haim Saban has created a lot of or not created financed a lot (laughs) of uh, childhood favorites and Uh is ultimately a very important person like in the history of media but he fucking sucks (laughs) (laughs) he can be both (laughs) yep (laughs) wow 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 Mm -hmm. look they still made like a hit show that was very influential and very popular and by all accounts very good in spite of all that so good on them same as like the history of spider-man it's just like everything around you sucks and you still make like a treasure out of it i that's (laughs) worth celebrating for sure yeah man (laughs) what a ride Uh uh-huh yeah it just makes me want to watch x-men more because i love stuff that has like messy productions Anything I that really has like, watch it. crazy production history behind it, but still like manages to be good, it's, it's just always so fascinating for me because it makes it more of a triumph. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, that was kind of a tangent, but <laughs> a good one, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another uh, just interesting little tidbit. Uh, so, Herbert Landon is in this episode. Um, he's voiced by, uh, we'll mention him later, but he's voiced by David Warner. I was right, by the way. I guessed correctly. <laughs> He's voiced by David Warner, but originally he was going to be another case of, like, an old live-action actor being cast in a Spider-Man role, which is super mm-hmm. common for this show. We've run into that a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, so in this case, it was going to be a soap star, um, Eric Braden. He was famous for The Young and the Restless, but I think he's been on other stuff as well. That was just his most famous role. Um, but Semper says that he was our first choice for Herbert Landon. He showed up for this sen- session seeming totally uncomfortable and gave a very wooden performance. Uh, we replaced him with David Warner, who was a complete dream to work with. Some actors just don't take to doing cartoon voiceovers. It doesn't make them bad actors. It just happens. So it was just kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I like that that clarification at the end of that quote where, you know, he says, like, doesn't reflect on their acting ability at all. It's just a different mm-hmm. setting. Yeah. I think you will underestimate how different voice acting is from, oh, for sure. from like live acting. It, it is a very different skill to have to have. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing, uh, this is kind of funny because we called it out when we were watching, <laughs> when we were watching <laughs> on the commentary one. There's a random guard named Leewald, which is like a name that sticks out like a sore thumb for just a random guard. <laughs> uh-huh. It's hard to, hard to miss. <laughs> He's named after the X-Men uh, story editor, Eric Leewald. So that was actually a nice little, nice little uh, reference. It, it also makes a lot more sense that that's like his last name. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they're not just shouting out his name, Lee Wald. Like, like, hey, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as we mentioned, we are covering the crossovers. So officially, the title of this first one is Spider-Man the Animated Series Season 2, Episode 4, Neogenic Nightmare, Chapter 4, The Mutant Agenda. (laughs) (laughs) These titles are so good. (laughs) (laughs) And our synopsis per IMDb is as follows. Spider-Man seeks help from Professor Xavier and his X-Men about the mystery behind his own mutation. Beast advises him to hear Herbert Landon's presentation for a cure on mutation. But unknown to everyone, Landon's new cure is actually meant to kill mutants instead. Yikes. This episode originally aired on September 30th, 1995. It was written by a whole slew of writers. Um, for this, <laughs> just this particular, particular episode. The second one's written by even more writers. Oh, boy. <laughs> this one's written by uh, John Semper um, and J.M. DeMattis doing the story. Michael Eden's doing the teleplay. And it's given a special credit to Stephen Grant for, oh, cool. um, for the comic that it's based on. So all of these writers actually have a lot of, of stuff behind them. We know John Semper, but J.M. DeMattis, that's a really big get because he's actually a really, really prolific comic book writer. Um, been around since the 1970s. I have an autographed like print of a cover like hanging up in my apartment. Oh, from dang. He's a, he's, a good, he's a very good writer. He has done long-term runs on Justice League International, Spectacular Spider-Man, and Amazing Spider-Man comics. Um, he's penned like really notable arcs. Craven's Last Hunt, for one, that's what I have the cover for. From actually, hmm. he also wrote like the arcs that had the what was then the permanent <laughs> uh, deaths of Harry Osborn and Aunt May in the '90s. He wrote like the beginnings of the Clone Saga before it kind of went off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> he also helped launch the uh, Vertigo line, which was DC's like mature themed hmm. line. And that's just in comics. He's also done a ton of TV writing and continues to like. He's still super active. Um, he wrote for the live action Superboy series, Justice League unlimited the 2011 thundercats reboot oh batman the brave and the bold teen titans go be cool scooby-doo a bunch of animated dc films and he's even written for like the current 2017 oh. Spider-Man series. so <laughs> <Well>, dang <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there's i think this is an animated deathstroke show called deathstrokes knights deathstroke knights and dragons i think that's going to be on dc universe i assume oh, wow. um he's like he's writing that too so huh. He never Dang, sleeps. dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael Edens has done a bunch of stuff that uh, folks would recognize as well. He was the story editor on Beetlejuice, the animated series, on G.I. Joe Extreme, which I actually don't really know anything about, um, but one. sounds cool. <laughs> uh, Street Fighter, the animated series, Mummies Alive, and Sonic Underground. And he was a writer on X-Men, the animated series, which is not too much of a surprise. The Real Ghostbusters, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Robocop Alpha Commando, uh, Stargate Infinity, and much, much, much more. There's always a Robocop. Oh, yes. It always comes back to Robocop. <laughs> uh-huh. It's going to come up in just a second, too. Um <laughs> Also worth noting for Stephen Grant, because he is given a special credit in this episode for Based on the Comic Buy, which the show doesn't do very often. I've seen, like, a couple of places that say that he also had a role in writing the episode, but it's on, like, wikis and stuff, and it's not confirmed. I mm-hmm. kind of don't think that that was the case, but just in case he was more involved um, than just writing the comic, it's worth calling him out. Um, sure. The comic itself, I never – I didn't even know that it was, like, a comic – at all um, until I was like researching it. But uh, the Mutant Agenda was a like three part comic 
And it was actually the first time the newspaper comic strip version of Spider-Man uh, crossed over with like a mainline comic. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and I, my understanding, I haven't like read it. So this is just stuff that I've read. So my, inf- like the information here might be like kind of skewed, but it sounds like, it sounds like that was the case. And that hmm. issue zero was like actually printed as those newspaper strips first. And was just kind of like, I guess a condensed version of the story, even mixed with like origin story flashbacks or something. Hmm. I was kind of unclear on what that was, but you can get it on comiXology. So I might read it at some point just out of curiosity. Sure. That's kind of an interesting, interesting bit of trivia for that. Very weird, but yeah, it looked like it's pretty close to the episode too because it definitely involved hmm. like Beast and the Brand Corporation and Hobgoblin. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. But uh, otherwise, comics-wise, he is best known for his runs on the Punisher, the Avengers, the Incredible Hulk, and here we go again. <laughs> he wrote the comic adaptation of RoboCop three and a comic adaptation of Frank Miller's unused screenplay for RoboCop two because we just <laughs> cannot escape RoboCop. Wow. So mm-hmm. much RoboCop. How did this happen? I don't. Was it that? I didn't think it was that lucrative of a property. Like right. everyone was, it was more ubiquitous of a thing that people were consuming than I realized. Maybe. I like, just... Was like everybody a RoboCop stan in like 1994? <laughs> what is this? Maybe it was like just before <laughs> our time, maybe. Because even like the, an- well, no, but then there was that animated, se- the other Alpha Commando, I think was like 97 or something. Huh. So I don't know. How did we miss that? I don't know. Like, huh. I always liked the movies fine, but, like, it wasn't <laughs> it hmm. wasn't a thing that I was, like, seeking out every, <laughs> every like, adaptation of, you know? Maybe we're just missing something, you know? Maybe. We Maybe. just got to go discover whatever it is about RoboCop. <laughs> I mean, the first movie is really good. Like, I don't know, but I don't know how you can make it, <laughs> an, <laughs> like, anything but that. <laughs> True. Yeah, well, and we even touched on that a little bit when we did our commentary, where it was like, I don't know how you do more of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it certainly makes me way more curious than I ever was about RoboCop prior to this podcast. <laughs> sure. Sure. Have you uh, seen, yeah, have, yeah, you yeah. still haven't seen the first movie yet, have no, you? No, I haven't. But now, sure, it is I mean, movie. it gets stronger every time. Every time we, <laughs> it comes up, I'm like, I guess I really have to. Like, yeah. not even, I don't even know if I want to. I just feel like it's required viewing at this point. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's worth it. The movie's worth it. I don't know about this other stuff, though, but. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so the comic that he wrote was released, but it was an adaptation of a movie that wasn't released? Is yeah. That, I yes. get that right? Apparently, Frank Miller wrote a screenplay for RoboCop 2 and even had some, like, element ideas for RoboCop 3, um, huh. and that did not get made. But it, I think it was, like, a famous script, like, one of those that, hmm. like, was passed around in Hollywood and, like, people wanted to get made. And, and I don't think RoboCop 2 was – I think that was kind of disappointing to people. So it was probably one of those things where they were, like, well, let's go after the other the other mythical the other mythical version of this that could have been. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, people didn't like the comic adaptation very much, so I don't know if it's like actually good or anything. But, I kind you know. of love that though. That's cool. Like, who do we who do we tap to get James Cameron's Spider Man turned into a comic? Right? I'm kind of surprised that that hasn't happened. You know, yeah. like it seems like a given because that's not. It's not super uncommon for that kind of stuff to happen. Hmm. So I don't know. That would I would love to see that though. I'm sure it would be terrible and weird, but I would love to see it. Oh, I love terrible and weird, especially <laughs> in comic form. <laughs> <laughs> That's where things are mostly terrible and uh, weird is in comic yes. form. <laughs> it's a good setting for that. <laughs> Well, let's talk about some stuff that's not terrible and weird. 
the characters that are focused on mostly in this episode. Um, these two episodes obviously introduced the Spider-Man animated series audience to a lot of characters, but they're all characters that we would be familiar with even if we weren't watching the X-Men series because they're all big X-Men characters. Mm-hmm. This particular two-parter focuses on two of the X-Men more than the rest of them, but they do all show up. So we're going to talk about the two that are mostly focused on over the two-parter in this episode, and we'll be sure to mention everybody else in our next episode. So the first of those characters that's sort of pivotal to the two-parter is Wolverine, a.k.a. Logan, or whatever, um, a.k.a. something else that I, I don't remember all of his names. James Howell, I think? I think. I, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> um, yeah, so Wolverine. And he's portrayed by Cal Dodd and credited in this as Cathal J. Dodd. Hmm. I'm assu- I don't actually know how to say that name. I just said it. Uh, and I think that's got to be right, right? It sounds right. It, any other way would be weird. So Yeah, but Cal Dodd, I think, is sort of what, it, what he goes by. Um, he also voiced Wolverine in a number of 1990s X-Men and Marvel video games, including Capcom's Marvel Superheroes fighting game and the subsequent fighting games uh, that sort of spawned from that, that pit the X-Men and other superheroes against characters from Capcom, um, which is a really long way to say the Marvel versus Capcom franchise. He basically <laughs> voices Wolverine in, in all of those through Marvel versus Capcom 2. Um, he also voices Captain America and Iceman in those games where they appear. Obviously, they don't appear in all of them because some of them are specifically X-Men games. Cool, cool. So the most recent credit on his IMDb is fascinating, and I don't think it ever really happened. In fact, I'm quite <laughs> confident it never happened, okay. um, but it's so worth mentioning because of the people involved. It's called The Gang's All Here. And this is a story from The Hollywood Reporter, November of 2017, that sort of describes what this was supposed to be. And I'm just going to read directly from it. Rob Paulson, the prolific voice actor known for Animaniacs and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, who we've mentioned on the show, um, has assembled a team to develop an animated series called The Gang's All Here. On the call sheet are longtime Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy, as well as Cal Dodd, known for playing Wolverine in the 1990s X-Men The Animated Series. Also on board is Helmer Andrea Romano, whose work on Batman The Animated Series helped establish her as one of the most respected animation directors in the field. Um, right off the bat, fascinating. Fascinating yeah. group of people to try to put something together. Yeah. Um, and not people you wouldn't take seriously. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then this is sort of a description of what it was meant to be. So the, the gang's all here centers on an animal cast of actors as they star in their own films and navigate the pitfalls of the entertainment industry. The team is conceiving of the comedic series to target adults and adolescents, which huh. is sort of a strange um, way to say everyone. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could, and it definitely sounds like they're trying to tap into like the Animaniacs and Roger Rabbit meta, yeah. meta, meta like inside humor like Mm -hmm. inside Hollywood humor. So that's interesting. Yeah. And then finally, Paulson is developing the project with up and coming screenwriter Byron Burton, who is also a contributor to The Hollywood Reporter, (laughs) um, where he has written about the 90s Batman and X-Men animated TV shows. So it's just it's such a bizarre thing. And I'm quite confident that none of it was ever produced to be shown to anyone. Hmm. But what a bizarre sort of thing to not happen, given the people involved. Like, what happened to it? Yeah. I want to (laughs) know. Yeah. And how much of it exists? Like, is there a storyboard somewhere? 
Did it get right. burned? Like, what's what's happening? Like, does it exist I, somewhere? Is it I in a wonder... folder? Locked up? <laughs> <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> I wonder if they just couldn't find a backer for it. Because, I mean, like, 2017, I guess, is... I could see this show working fine, like, in the 90s, 100%. I wonder if 2017 was a little too... Was, like, not the right time for something like this, necessarily. Because, like, people are all the up and up on, like, meta stuff. But I don't know mm-hmm. if people are as interested in, like the inner workings of the making of like shows and like Hollywood stuff. Like, I feel like they're more interested in like meta being like commenting on like the narrative of things, Hmm. you know? Um, I I don't know. I could be totally off base with that. It just like, it does sound like an idea. I love, I love it, but it sounds like it's an idea that maybe is a little out of time. So I I don't know. I'm so thrown off by targeting adults and adolescents because if you if it were just a series targeting adults, you run into sort of the the BoJack Horseman or like drawn together sort of realm. Yeah. And then it makes so much sense to me. It makes perfect sense to me. But I'm just (laughs) I just want to know what it what it would have looked like. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you're right. Maybe it would have been like an Animaniacs thing, in which case I definitely get why it wouldn't have landed quite the way that it was intended yeah which although that's funny because animaniacs is like coming back so (laughs) yeah yeah that's true that is uh that is a bizarre line to sort of balance (laughs) i guess yeah there's a lot of Um, questions it could just hmm. be a money it could have just been a money thing too yeah very true very true (laughs) i don't know that's that's that is absolutely fascinating just lost projects like this i just uh i i you know i don't know if i've said it uh on the podcast before but like if i ever had the ability to jump realities or dimensions i would only use it for the dumbest things Mm -hmm. and one of the dumb things i would use it for would be to find the reality where this happened and watch it and then come right back yeah yeah (laughs) dude totally Yeah, well, the other character that we have in this episode that's a major, 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 uh, like, major center of the narrative um, and the best X-Man is Beast. (laughs) Beast is portrayed by George Buza. He voiced Chef Sherpa in the 1985 Star Wars TV series Ewoks. (laughs) Is that on Disney Plus? Probably I highly not. doubt it. I <laughs> I get the sense that Ewoks is a thing that they would like to erase from history. <laughs> sure. I don't know if that's true. I think people like it. I, I think people enjoy oh. it, but I don't know that it fits their brand. <laughs> I've never seen it. Cool. He's also he's done a bunch of other stuff too. On screen, he's portrayed Turner Edison, a toddler rapidly aged into a fully adult body on 1990s Eugene Lever created manic mansion loosely based on the 80s video game that was my first that was my first time reading that paragraph that you wrote for this that was the (laughs) weirdest roller coaster of a journey i've ever been on well i should clarify that it's maniac mansion (laughs) what did i say manic mansion Manic mansion okay but i guess it makes sense considering that that sentence is absolutely bonkers (laughs) what in the world did i just read a toddler but you a it might rap- be worth looking up. Like you what? might, it, you should look up a picture of the cast. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I don't know is... if you have seen George Buza, but yes. he's like he's like a large man, and he plays a toddler in the body of a large man. Oh, that sounds nightmarish. Yeah. Was it a yes. sitcom? Yes, Maniac. it was. <laughs> Maniac. This was Maniac. not a cartoon. <laughs> and based based on an eighties video game. Uh huh. Yeah. Everything's coming up for them. It's very confusing. What in the world is that? What is this? 
this isn't real. This is not real. What in the world? Uh huh. And I've never seen it, so it might it might still fit this uh, gut reaction of mine. But when I just looked up the series without having read anything about it, I saw the cast and I was like, "This looks like a massively problematic show," and it might still be. But then I read like the description, and I was like, "Or everything's just super weird." I'm not really Maybe. sure. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, God. You can watch episodes on YouTube. Oh, I don't doubt it. Oh, God. What in the world? There is a big part of me that wants to watch it simply because Eugene Levy created it. Yeah. What? I don't know if I could handle it, though. Of all the... What? Okay, but how does the video game work, then? I don't understand. (laughs) I never played it, so I'm not even sure. I've never heard of any of this. What's happening? I think I fell into an alternate universe where this existed. <laughs> Just now. Just now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's so strange. It's so strange. You know, it really makes me want to dive into, like, obscure – maybe it's not that obscure, but, like, obscure Canadian television. <laughs> you know, like, was this a hit in Canada? It lasted, like, three seasons. <laughs> Of course it did. You know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what in the Canada very, just has every? It just is is just like a just a whole bunch of treasures, huh? You know, it's funny <laughs> because I I really do think that Canada is aware of how little we are aware of them. You know, yeah. like like every once in a while, I will I will I will get the sense that like there's an entire world of entertainment in Canada that is like robust and intelligent and hilarious and like they're just not going to give it to us because we don't deserve it you know what i mean <laughs> yeah we got... like you get snippets of it because like kim's convenience is is phenomenal there are a lot of people who are super into degrassi mm-hmm. like there's all kinds of little things here and there that you're like yeah canada makes stuff mm-hmm. but then yeah. when you dig a little deeper it's like no canada has an entire industry <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, and we just don't see much of it. It's yeah, no, you're right. It just kind of trickles in. Schitt's Creek is Canadian and also created by co-created by Eugene mm, Levy. So it's like I love that show. I just started watching it so recently. Good. It's so, <laughs> it's, I'm glad you're watching it. It's so good. It's so good. <sighs> but yeah, no, you're right. It's like they'll just be like, "We'll give you this one. You can have this." Yeah. Um, and then we'll keep everything else because you ruin everything you touch. In America. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> good lord. Oh God. In addition to that. <laughs> He's also portrayed like series regulars both on screen and behind the mic on a number of late 90s, early 2000s series such as The Busy World of Richard Scarry, uh, The Adventures of Sinbad, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show, Beyblade, and a show totally unrelated to the X-Men called Mutant X. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had to check that one a few times. <laughs> yeah. I remember. I remember that that show. Do you really? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh wow! Yeah, I think it. Uh, it was if it wasn't syndicated, I caught it like in reruns and syndication. Oh wow! At, like huh. it was one of those shows that I I think would play at like three o'clock on a Saturday. Like, oh, that's so funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I had no recollection of that show whatsoever. <laughs> Don't huh. ask me anything about it. I have no. I have very little memory <laughs> of it. I just remember it being on the TV. I feel like we could figure it out. <laughs> I feel sure. like we could figure that show out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably. Uh. <laughs> Um, two of his most recent credits from the past few years include two instances of portraying Santa Claus. If you see him, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One in the animated Elliot, the Littlest Reindeer, and another in the live action, A Christmas Horror Story. Yeah. <laughs> his credits are so good. They're so fun to look through. It's just an absolute <laughs> treasure trove. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, well, we already mentioned that Herbert Landon is portrayed by David Warner. 
And in many ways, David Warner is exactly the type of high pedigree actor that we sort of expect to pop up in this show and kind of even in this type of role. He did attend the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts um, and performed with the Royal Shakespeare Company in Stratford-upon-Avon in a number of productions. Um, but in an, in a number of ways, he's like different from those high pedigree actors because he also has like a pretty uh, robust career in doing voice acting for stuff just like this. So a lot of times we see these actors where we're like, how did you end up in this one instance of voice acting <laughs> for this one superhero cartoon? David Warner's not quite like that. He's sort of just all over the place in the most delightful of ways. So he portrayed Ra's al Ghul in Batman the Animated Series, as well as in Superman the Animated Series and Batman Beyond, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. He was Alpha in the animated series Men in Black, which I watched and has come up on this show before, actually. Mm-hmm. He voices the Archmage in Gargoyles, who I don't think I've run into yet. Yeah. So I don't that. know how prevalent that character is. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> I-, I figured, like, I mean, if David Warner's voicing him, like, use that, right? Right, right. <laughs> Um, he is Freakazoid's nemesis, The Lobe, which is like that big brain guy in oh. the show Freakazoid. <laughs> and more recently, he voiced, um, I guess, one of the voices, because I, I guess this character changes over time. I don't know. This is a weird show. But he was the voice <laughs> or one of the voices of Dr. Wrecker in The Amazing World of Gumball, um, which is a f- fantastic show, but a very, very bizarre show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's also super recognizable on screen. I recognized him. And I when you mentioned him, I don't know why it didn't click for me, especially with the voice. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you exactly what did click for me was he's Professor Perry in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh, that guy, duh. <laughs> he portrays three different characters across the Star Trek universe. Um, he's in two of the movies, and he's in a two-parter on television. Um, I think The Next Generation. He is Bob Cratchit in the 1984 A Christmas Carol, which I don't know about you, but I definitely grew up watching. Um, I don't remember that. Whether one. I wanted to or not. <laughs> when was the Muppet Christmas Carol kid? Yeah, like, when the Muppets exist, why would you ever make me watch that one? Even though it's good, <laughs> I just, there's no Muppets. <laughs> And he is Jor-El in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. So I feel like he's not in tons and tons of stuff, but he's in the types of things where you probably would recognize him from something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he has a very distinctive voice, too. Yes. Very good voice. Very good voice. Yeah. I almost feel like he's a little wasted on on the character he's playing in this one. But if if he wasn't played, if if this character wasn't played by someone with a distinctive voice, you would not remember him one bit. So I do think he would get get sort of lost. So it's it's uh, it's worth putting somebody like this in there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool. Well, I guess we ought to uh, actually talk about the episode and not fall down more interdimensional (laughs) rabbit holes. I guess so. (laughs) Cool. Well. This episode opens with Spider-Man. Uh, first of all, no recap, by the way, for an episode for like last episode was barely relevant to the narrative um, mm-hmm. of, of the plot. This one is pretty, pretty definitely related and has no recap. But yeah, it okay. really does sort of um, help us understand when and why the recaps are used. Uh-huh. And it's not really to refresh our memories. No, nope, it's <laughs> how much time do we have slash need? Um, so uh, after no recap uh, the episode opens with Spider-Man reflecting on his conversation with Dr. Connors the same one that we heard back in the in the season premiere and he is now attempting to meet with Professor Xavier um, who he says is the world's greatest expert on genetic mutations of course when he lands on top of Xavier's mansion 
he doesn't realize that it's the home of like the actual like superhero X-Men's <laughs> superheroes X-Men, I guess, um, which obviously means that there's going to be defenses that get triggered. Um, so he's like immediately trapped in like a metal straitjacket. It's weird. I have questions about how all this works, but it's X-Men, whatever. <laughs> Their technology is bizarre, but uh-huh. just comes with the territory, I guess. And he's pulled into like the building dropped into a room where all of the X-Men are literally waiting in the shadows to dramatically step out, like, oh, as course. a collective group. Like, <laughs> you guys, you're so, come on. <laughs> you just want to make they an They go entrance. everywhere together. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the X-Men that do step out are Wolverine, Cyclops, Rogue, Gambit, Storm, Jubilee, Jean Grey, and Beast, headed up by Professor X. Yes, indeed. Well, Spider-Man manages to break out of the straitjacket, which, by the way, I kind of love because I I feel like, I don't know, Spider-Man's an interesting superhero where, like, we know he's strong, but they don't constantly flaunt it. So it's, like, fun when they do. Yeah. Um. So I love that he just sort of, like, breaks out of this metal straitjacket. In any case, he does that. He webs up the X-Men and he kicks down a door uh, of whatever room they're in and then tries to escape, but obviously ends up, like, sort of further into the mansion. The X-Men chase after him, and Beast sort of, like, hits this alarm to activate further defense systems inside the building. The X-Men end up chasing him into the Danger Room, which, if you're not familiar, is, is like a basically like a holographic but, like, very real-feeling training room. And we learn from Gambit that it's still active uh, for when he was practicing, and it's set to Deadly Sentinels. <laughs> of course. So, first of all, like, if, it's, if you just leave this giant holographic room just on that's gonna use a lot of electricity Uh what are uh their electricity bills in the mansion like (laughs) and you're just leaving this on like come on man i wonder if just every once in a while they're like hey storm could you like give us a boost and she just like cracks into like a big generator or something they have storm (laughs) they have like a never-ending supply of electricity never mind that actually doesn't seem like a cool thing to do (laughs) yo uh aurora can you help us out <laughs> oh god this whole sequence is weird though because they just like everybody's so hyper aggressive like yep. instantly like oh, yeah i don't know it seems they, they should know i mean unless they have bought into fully bought into the the bad publicity that spider-man gets like the propaganda about spider-man being a menace or whatever but mm. like it doesn't seem like that because they seem to be like oh cool it's spider-man let's kill him like it doesn't <laughs> it's <laughs> like yeah on the surface it's appropriate that like i know jubilee and rogue are both like cool with him at first Everybody else is kind of suspicious, and then Wolverine is doing his Wolverine thing and threatening him. But, like, they let him? Like, no one is just, like, back off. It's just, he's like, I'm going to disembowel you for some reason. Then Spider-Man is just, like, kind of returning the aggression, too, before just bolting. Like, it's a weird, like, I they want to get to the conflict quickly. I get that, but it seems to skip a couple of logic beats to get there. Yeah, I think so. I think there are a number of things that happen over the course of these two episodes that simply almost have to be explained by, like, they had an opportunity and they just took it. Yeah. Because, like Semper said, like, it was all sort of a stunt for ratings. And so they, I guess they just had to, like, capitalize on things when they had the chance. I guess so. So, I don't know. Like, there are a number of even just, like, lines or sequences where you're like, okay, well, they're sh- they're showing off, right? Like, they're showing 
characters off or they're giving actors a chance to i guess showcase themselves and so it ends up being like a little bit weird sometimes but Mm -hmm. i guess if you keep that in the back of your mind it's understandable i wouldn't call it fine because it can get in the way but it's at least understandable yeah i'm willing to forgive it because obviously this episode has to do a lot by like the nature of what it is and them not being able to do like a five-parter with it or anything yeah so i get that but even then it seems like there's some like screws that could have been tightened just a little bit like i I think that's still very true i think there's a lot of stuff that like i don't know the the full story behind the production and how some of that looked and i don't know if we can i don't know if john semper because it's not only his team has spoken in his sort of candid way about it but like Mm -hmm. definitely feels like there were things where you're like that feels like maybe there was a disagreement on how that was supposed to go (laughs) and somebody kind of gave in a little bit or there's a compromise here or there so uh, i don't know i'm not really sure yeah i could i do i like like the sentinel fight sequence um just because it is you know showing off the x-men's powers in a really yeah quick fashion like i get that it's just like they could have Spider-Man like just accidentally fall into it or something like that rather than mm-hmm. like this weird chase sequence where the X-Men theme music is like triumphantly playing while the X-Men are like lightly jogging down a hall chasing after another hero. Like it's all just kind of just off-putting. Yeah. Not a gr- it's not a great it's not a great start to the episode and I feel like sets a weird tone that like persist throughout the two-parter that mm-hmm. I have a really hard time getting past. Yeah, I, I I think that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, I think there's a good story being told, but they mm-hmm. have to show so much along the way that you're constantly being flashed this shiny thing or that shiny thing. Yes. And so it's like easy to forget that there's actually a good story in there. <laughs> yes, definitely. There is good stuff in these episodes. Yeah. That like I think that makes it more frustrating that I'm like, but I want I want yeah. that and I want more of that and I know that it's there. Just like stop stop making yeah. it hard. <laughs> I think it's one of the shiny things. I think they just wanted to introduce everybody all at once as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah. Weird way to do it, but I guess they did it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Because they even have that one, like every once in a while they'll just have like an X-Men man walk up to spider-man and just like say a line and you're like that was a weird thing to do but i guess you're showing off jubilee like (laughs) so i don't know it's a weird context to look at an episode through that we don't normally have to look at episodes through but i guess i guess this time we're forced to a little bit (laughs) yeah it's kind of putting a front and center for for sure yeah yeah well, with uh, largely Storms, but also the other X-Men's assistance, uh, Spider-Man does avoid getting stomped by these Sentinels. Um, they're able to hold off the Danger Room program long enough for Jean Grey to sort of run out of the room and turn it off, which is nice. I'm glad that the control room is close enough to but do that. Why didn't they go um, there first? Why did they all storm into the... <laughs> <laughs> like, Jean Grey didn't do anything. She just ran there, looked at them, and then like, okay, go, turn it off. Like, you were pro- it was probably mm-hmm. on your way here. I like that sentence, uh, Jean Grey didn't do anything, because it kind of sums up Jean Grey in these two episodes. (laughs) Kind of Jean Grey in a lot of stuff, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, I think when you have something that big and powerful, like, I don't know, it it seems to be a challenge for a lot of people. Like, it's sort of a Captain Marvel thing, right? Like, what do you do with Captain Marvel if she's literally just, like, the strongest thing ever? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's the, the problem people run into, but... You know, Jean Grey doesn't doesn't get to do a whole lot in these two episodes, but she does get to turn the danger room off. So, yay, you know. girl power. Good, good for her. <laughs> <laughs> she does it because Cyclops tells her to. I guess we should point out. <laughs> oh, God. Yep, 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 yep. 
in any case, before the X-Men and Spider-Man can resume the clash from earlier, Professor Xavier interrupts and says, what are you doing here, Spider-Man? What do you want? Yes, 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 yes. So Spider-Man does get pretty quickly into his explanation that, you know, he has a mutant uh, mutant genetic disorder thing that's like slowly mutating him. Um, and he knows the professor is an expert in genetic mutations. And he asks if he can be cured. Um, Xavier, however, explains that his work is not to cure mutants, but to actually just help them accept who they are. <laughs> God, and Spider-Man is just a giant jerk and just <laughs> just not think through things, gets pissed immediately, puts his like whole ass foot in his mouth, calls mutants freaks, and then just like leaves through the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Legit just throwing a tantrum, like just a full on yeah. tantrum. It's like, yeah. I could save the world 10 times over, but when I need help, I'm on my own. Thanks for nothing. Like, yeah, he's, he's being a little brat. <laughs> he's kind of a brat like throughout the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I get you're having an existential crisis, but you also didn't listen. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And it's a little bit annoying that after the last episode, they had the nice little bow at the end where he like learns from Mary Jane to maybe not like be so uptight and like complaining about his problems because he knows Mm. that it could be worse but then like he's just like going full bore here on how bad his problems are (laughs) and how horrible his life is so that lesson did not stick very well (sighs) come on peter come on Mm -hmm. well jubilee shouts after spider-man when he (laughs) dashes out the window um saying that you know he could be a big help to them and that the x-men should chase after him or try to try to resolve the situation wolverine disagrees with that though and calls him too much of a loner which is certainly some irony and beast points (laughs) that out drawing a comparison between wolverine and spider-man basically saying like Logan, when you first showed up, you kind of were like that, too. <laughs> so yep. maybe maybe go easy. But their disagreement doesn't end there. It continues outside when Wolverine claims that Spider-Man isn't even a real mutant <laughs> because his mutation was caused by an accident, um, not by a, mut- you know, a mutant gene or whatever. And Beast says basically like, yeah, exactly. So like maybe he's totally right to seek out some sort of cure or remedy to that because... He's not a mutant like us. So again, once again, go easy a little bit. Mm-hmm. And kind of given that context, Beast mentions that there's somebody at the brand corporation who's been studying genetics and might be able to help. Um, that's sort of the side. It's, it's interesting because before you realize that these are going to be sort of the two main characters aside from Spider-Man in this, you realize like, oh, there's this philosophical difference between the two of them in that like Beast is willing to listen to Spider-Man and his concerns and and look past the fact that he just called mutants freaks. And Wolverine's like, no, that guy's a jerk and forget him. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Um, so then when you realize like they're the main two characters, it's kind of nice to have that carried throughout the episode uh, yeah. to an extent. Their relationship is really well written, like when they're when they're present and together. I think yes, like they they have a really nice like. I, I really like that, uh, like you said, the kind of like competing philosophies, but still like a really close friendship between them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they write that really well, and it makes sense why they had those two characters be the center of this crossover yeah. rather than everyone else, even though it's kind of to the detriment of everybody else, like not doing anything, but at least like it makes it for a strong foundation for a narrative. I think definitely. It's definitely one of the strong points of this. And I don't know because I, I don't, you know, I've, I've read some X-Men, but I've not read a ton of X-Men and I've, I've never really watched the show. I'm assuming this is a dynamic that is like strong within the X-Men team, right? Yeah. I'm, yeah. Just I mean, based it was on even... how natural it feels. I'm guessing that that's not 
an invention of this storyline. Right. It was even in the just the, the single episode that I watched today, like that was present okay. there. Because that actually, Makes sense. I watched it because I knew it would be like, it was called Beauty and the Beast. So I'm like, it's a beast episode. And it actually ended up being like a beast slash Wolverine episode. Oh. So like it was all, yeah, it worked. Nice. Yeah. So it's good. They're well written. Elsewhere, we cut to a man named Landon who is delivering a briefcase of money to the Hobgoblin in a warehouse to keep (laughs) the Hobgoblin quiet. So all your standard Spider-Man things, someone making a shady deal with a massive villain that's definitely going to betray them in a warehouse, one of the many warehouses in New York. On brand. (laughs) But he wants to keep the Hobgoblin quiet about Landon double-crossing Kingpin. Everyone always double-crosses Kingpin and it never goes well. No, <laughs> like they learn really your don't learn guys. their lesson. You'd think that these <laughs> messages would be spread throughout the criminal underworld. <laughs> like, oh, the kingpin of crime, the most powerful criminal in the world who has access to all this information, who has access mm-hmm. to everyone and superpowered villains. I think I'm going to like try to steal from him. I think I could do it. I think I, I think I could pull this off. <laughs> I played Risk once and I won. <laughs> I think I can do this. Oh, God. Can you imagine playing the kingpin in Risk? that'd be awful (laughs) yep during this conversation we hear Landon mention this technology that he insists Kingpin cannot take possession of we don't really get what that is but he just uh, decides to run out of a building towards a limousine and then activate a detonator trying to also double cross Hobgoblin of course the warehouse blows up but like no uh, Hobgoblin is not (laughs) Like, they don't even show like how he escapes or knows he just like they just cut to him just like outside of the building being like ha 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 you can't kill me like all right i don't cool, even whatever. think it was a commercial break no it's just like literally the next moment <laughs> yeah. it was like three seconds later like <laughs> like i actually had already left the building but okay mm-hmm. <laughs> sure <laughs> like actually by the time okay by the time that he would get that Landon would get to the limousine, set off the detonator, and I'm sure there would be like a couple seconds before the detonator would go off. Hobgoblin is on a flying machine. He yeah. could have just flied out the window in that time. So oh, yeah. it was kind of silly to expect him to have died in this anyway. Oh, yeah. I think that one explains itself quite easily. <laughs> 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 well, inside the limousine, Landon receives a phone call from Kingpin. Kingpin is suspicious that Landon has left the brand corporation because – He's basically got tracking on Landon and believes that Landon should be doing nothing but working in the lab at Brand Corporation. Um, But Landon assures him that work is going well enough for a brief diversion here and there and basically tells Kingpin to shove it, which Alistair really doesn't like and even pulls a lovely Stephanie Tanner and says, (laughs) how rude. (laughs) Despite this, Kingpin doesn't really mind the rudeness because... He says that Landon has promised to provide him with an army of super mutants. So he's willing to put up with a little bit of rudeness. Sure, sure. So I kind of can maybe get an idea of of where this is going and how it involves the X-Men. So we cut to Landon returning to the Brand Corporation where he is greeted by Genevieve. Um, Genevieve shares concerns about sharing any of Landon's work publicly, but Landon says a small demonstration is needed to assure that his top investor, uh, or assure assure his top investor that all is going well. He then alludes to, like, his real work, which he isn't going to reveal until he's performed one final test so he can reveal it dramatically later on in the episode. (laughs) Of course. Lots of mystery, (laughs) lots of secrets. (laughs) Yeah. We don't really fully know, but we kind of know what's going on. (laughs) You can guess. You can guess. Yes. 
Well, Beast ends up finding Spider-Man to tell him about the Brand Corporation, about Herbert Landon, and the demonstration that is set to occur the following day. I want to side note and say how funny it is that this company is literally just called Brand Corporation. I know, right? Because no one's no one's named Brand. Right. Like, it's that's literally I... just like, what do we call? Oh, a uh, brand? Like a uh, like a brand? <laughs> and, and also a corporation? It's a brand corporation, right? <laughs> Yeah. It cracks me up. Like, oh, do you – so is your corporation – are you, like, a marketing company that, like, creates brands for other companies? <laughs> like, no, we do science. Yeah. Yeah, we're oh. a science science company. Cool. <laughs> Super. <laughs> um, in any case, that makes me laugh every, every time I read it uh, a little <laughs> bit on the inside. So anyway, they talk a little bit about this, but some folks in uniforms are looking on. And spoiler, I don't know if this is made clear in the moment – but it doesn't really hurt to share it now. They are Landon's or Brand Corporation's guys. Yeah. And when Spider-Man finally thwips off, they surround, stun, and restrain Beast. This is our first sort of look at uh, Mr. Leewald, the yes. security guard guy that will pop up throughout these two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Many times. Yeah. <laughs> A couple of notes. It's raining throughout this whole thing. Man, it must suck to, like, be Beast and just, like, <laughs> having to, like, swing through uh-huh. woods, like, in the rain. Like, he must smell really bad. And then, like, yeah. to dry off, like, man, that's got to suck. Like, I wouldn't mind being furry like that, but, like, I wouldn't – I would not go on the rain like that. Like, that sucks. I, he <laughs> – one has to use a lot of shampoo, like a bottle every time he showers probably. Mm-hmm. But I also imagine – you know, I've I've alluded to my dream situation, which is to have an entire room meant to just dry my body after showering. Yeah. I have to assume that Beast has one has of those to. rooms. He has to. He has like to. How else would you dry off? Right. Your life would just be – I mean, maybe that's why he never wears any clothes. Is so, like, mm. it's just, just like – it's always wet. So, like, why would it – it helps it dry off. Maybe he just walks into the danger room and is like – or no, maybe it's Storm again, where he's like, Storm, I could really use a hurricane real quick, but like, hold on the rain. Thanks. Oh my God. That's just like, Storm's like, I have more jobs than this. I have, I have a life. I can't just cater to you all. Like, well, that's what you get for being like a god mutant. So. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I will, that reminds me, the, the X-Men episode I watched, I watched today, there's like a minor plot point that beast wears aftershave. Like it comes up multiple times and he specifically calls it aftershave. His like blind girlfriend keeps referring to like smelling his aftershave and knowing his aftershave, which reject. I reject the word word aftershave. (laughs) First of all, like what (laughs) you see Uh the problem there. (laughs) It's a very glaring issue. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, I don't know if it was meant to be a joke or not because it wasn't played like a joke, but hmm. okay. <laughs> interesting. Very <Yep>. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Many questions come up when you think about Beast. Yes, indeed. It's cool. I like him. I love him. He's great. He is pretty great. He is pretty great. Um, oh, the fight sequence. Like, this, this, uh, All of the fight sequences with Beast are really good. Um, even despite like the animation, again, for these two episodes being like god awful, like the opening two-parter i know that's why i was so surprised when i saw that they were so expensive but i guess all of that went to just making sure the actors were where they wanted them to be i guess so which is so that's so dumb such a bummer i know yeah this episode looks really bad except for like a few key moments yeah they they do do reasonably well as well as they can do with a lot of beasts acrobatic movements and stuff yeah 
I think, and I actually, I think like, I like his design on the show and how they handle him. Like there's a few like iffy moments and stuff, but, and it's not super fluid, but I think they do nice like fight choreography and like acrobatic choreography with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, they do a couple of good acrobatic things with him, but also with Spidey. So I wonder there might've just been some team that was assigned to do those types of things Maybe, and they yeah. just like nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, on his way home, Spidey is still moping, of course. <laughs> um, he goes to MJ's house and is like outside of her window looking in about and uh, just like talking about how to himself, of course, whining about how he can't be with her because he's a freak and he's going to endanger everybody. Blah, 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 blah. We've heard it all before. <laughs> inside of his home, he like this. This is I, kind of like this a is subtle, one of those moments. This is one of those moments I was talking about where I was like, there are just certain things where I feel like something was changed, but yeah. not everything was scrapped. Because he almost, like, is, he's, like, kind of quitting being Spider-Man for the upteenth time, but it's not super explicit. He, mm-hmm. the whole, he like, goes into Aunt May's bedroom, and, is, and, like, while she's asleep, and is almost like, well, I guess I have to leave her forever because I'm a genetic freak that can't be cured. It's yeah. like, where did this come from? Right. Well, and then he's like, well, I also got to say goodbye to Uncle Ben. Like, wh- what are you saying goodbye to everybody for, fool? Yeah. Like, it's, it's a beat miss. And, I mean... We're supposed to get that he's just like wants to keep protect everybody because he really thinks. But it's like, dude, you you talk to Dr. Connors and you talk to Professor Xavier. That's literally it. That's all you've done. And you're mm-hmm. just like, well, I guess I'm going to die now. Like, what's well, happening to you? Both of them are relatively chill about it, especially Professor X. You know, yeah. like Connors is delivering some like pretty rough news, but he's also still like, we don't know a lot yet. So, like, let's learn more. Like, it could be really bad, but maybe it won't be that bad. <laughs> like, right. He's not that doom and gloom about it. I guess, like, you could argue that it is a kind of a realistic interpretation to just, like, kind of spin out when it's something no, like I, that. No, I, I get it. Like, it, it is a legitimate existential crisis. He's, like, worried he's going to lose himself to whatever he's turning into. Just a, there's, like, plenty of stuff around him being, like, no... And a lot of those things that are saying no are, like, literal mutants that are, like, living lives. Yeah. Especially in this episode. <laughs> and I think it would help better if that were leading up to something. But what it leads to isn't really addressing his issue with, like, overreacting to a ridicul- ridiculous extent. If anything, the last episode kind of addressed that yeah. <laughs> almost incidentally. But this one, like, what it leads to is, is like, kind of almost separate from him having a whole existential crisis and like being so like aggressively whiny about it. And Hmm. I don't know. And, but I mean, it it kind of ties into it actually. The more I think about it, I guess I see what their through line was, um, which we'll get to it next week, but I see what the through (laughs) line was, but it doesn't, I think it doesn't work in these types of moments because we're missing getting from point A to point B of like, Oh, that was my last straw. So now I have to leave everybody. But like this genetic mutation might not turn into anything for like 20 years like you don't know (laughs) i think i think the biggest thing too is the episode order thing that you've you've brought up of the sort of conclusion of the last episode and then the shift to this episode i I get the through line for these two episodes but as a season-long journey it's a little jarring i wonder hmm, i wonder how much of it is like these two episodes are a specific thing and I guess in theory, you probably we'll, we'll have to see when we get past the two parter, but I'm guessing you could kind of just cut them out of the season and just roll from the last episode we talked about 
into two episodes from now. And so I wonder how much of it was like, okay, where is Peter Parker right now? Like, while we're writing this story, like, where's he at? Yeah. And he's still sort of in freakout mode, I guess. But I don't I know, because so. I don't remember what comes immediately after this. Yeah, except for the very, like, literally the last scene is clearly leading into the next episode. Oh, but that's other than, right. That's, oh. Yeah, and that's the thing, is they try to, here's the thing, is I do appreciate some of the stuff they're trying to do. Because, yeah, they could have just made this a crossover that is completely standalone, that has nothing to do with anything, um, just to do it because it's an event. That's super, yeah. duper common for crossover stuff. And I don't mm-hmm. fault, I don't fault shows for doing that because it's hard sure. to do crossovers. So I really commend them for obviously taking a very conscious effort to integrate this like organically into their story arc and then like thematically find things to like lead Spider-Man to another place. Because where he is at the end of this two-parter, even though I I don't like some of the past, I don't like really like the path that they take to get there. I like the idea of that thread where it leads to Mm -hmm. like an idea that he has that could eventually lead him to, like, another step. Like, it's just the pieces that they take to get there are so fragmented. And there's, like, three or four different, like, themes and messages in these episodes that don't, that sort of overlap, but don't necessarily line up. Kind of like the Hobgoblin two-parter, actually, where it's sort of like, I appreciate that you were trying to get a theme in here, but, like, this doesn't line up with what you were just doing before, which seemed to have its completely, a completely different theme. Like, it feels very patchwork. Hmm. That's a really good point. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I do wonder how much of it is that sort of like, let's capitalize on this opportunity and then sort of mixing up the, the sort of like, is this its own event or is this part of the larger thing? And then being like, let's do both, but then not really, ah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's hard. Something about this feels like it needs to be stretched out and they just weren't able to do it. Yeah. Because, like, literally, I don't think they they wouldn't have been able to. It, it's clearly cost them too much to bring them for two episodes. You know what I mean? <laughs> two episodes of very few lines. Like, <laughs> right, just keeping right. them there for another three hours mu- probably would have just broke the bank. So Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a little too condensed. And, it, and there are a lot of competing themes. Yeah. I don't know what they would have done without taking things out because it – I'm just hesitant to say, like, cut this and cut that because for these two episodes specifically, I get the compulsion to be like, we have this chance, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we have these folks, we have these people, like, let's utilize this cool opportunity we have. It's so hard for me to be like, cut all this stuff out (laughs) because it just seems like it would be kind of a cruel thing to say given the resources that they had at their disposal. I think that that's true for most of this episode. Yeah. But for this particular little bit, they could have, I think that they could have cut this. That's this. true. Cause it is, it's, it's wholly contained within the Spider-Man side of things. Yeah. And, and the thing yeah. is all it's, all it is meant to do is get him to go to the brand corporation, but they could have easily smoothed over a monologue with him leaving beast mm. and then reluctantly deciding like, maybe I should just check it out. Like for in one line. Sure. But instead, and again, I don't mind them trying to, expand things for dramatic effect it's just like the dramatic effect here doesn't really make sense (laughs) like and it seems really weirdly overwrought um do you think that this type of stuff is for x-men fans who might have watched these two episodes because the x-men were in them oh that like not only are they trying to fit a bunch of x-men stuff in for the spider-man fans but they're trying to make sure that they have some of the most concentrated elements of spider-man things in for the x-men people that's not a bad thought because in this one little scene 
because we don't have time for Spider-Man to, to talk to or interact with any of his other char- any other characters. Right. So you get a brief glimpse of Mary Jane and Aunt May, his main supporting cast, and you get an Uncle Ben flashback with it. So it's sort of like here are kind of your main points for what this show is and like the mythos of it. Because so, I do think that's largely hmm. why Kingpin plays a bigger role than I think he needs to, is I think that they're like, well, we want to make sure we've got our our stuff in here, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because they could really cut him out, and it wouldn't make that much of a difference. Yeah. But at that point, you're you're cutting out all of your Spider-Man stuff, so then it just becomes a, an X-Men two-parter with Spider-Man in it. Yeah, that's oh yeah, that's that's why crossovers are so challenging because yeah. how much of 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 one or the other should you have in it? And and I guess the argument is that like this is Spider-Man's show that the mm. X-Men are coming into, so it's going to have to be mostly a Spider-Man show with the X-Men part of it, which is at odds with like the otherwise very good story that they're telling between yeah. Beast and Wolverine and like an old associate of Beasts that yeah. would keep it very much in the X-Men like <laughs> orbit. So Yeah. Huh. I can sort of see the the problem that they ran into writing wise and I don't think they are able to come to a good solution, but I wonder if there would have ever been a good solution that wasn't just making this longer than two episodes. Yeah, you know what it almost needed to be or almost might have benefited from is a more modern, I don't know if this is even a more modern version, but a different style of crossover where one of these episodes is technically an entry in the Spider-Man series and a, and another one would have technically been an entry in the X-Men series. Yeah. And then you don't have to worry about that balance as much because you can sort of heavily lean on the Spider-Man side of things for one piece of the the episode or arc and then heavily lean on the X-Men stuff for the other. I don't know. That's I don't know that that's easier necessarily. Yeah. But that's definitely a thing that that did happen back then. That was like what sitcoms sit, like sitcoms especially right. did that all the time. Yeah. So that would be that wouldn't have been what out of the norm to do that. But probably logistically it would have been harder because then then they have to work a lot more directly with like the X-Men writers and vice versa mm-hmm. um, and making sure like it's fitting into whatever is happening in the world of X-Men at that time. Oh like, yeah. I guess that would be harder. Cause Shoot. that is one, one thing that X-Men I think was really good at is that they did change up the status quo at certain points and like had like big, like overarching multi-parters and stuff that it probably yeah. would have happened in the middle of, especially hmm. by like that late in the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's challenging. It doesn't. I mean, I think this was one of those things that, like, <laughs> I think that they still could have refined the script a little bit more, but they probably yeah. it, there was probably not a good solution to make this like a super solid pair of episodes. And you, I think you do have to kind of take it for what it is. It's just like frustrating with this kind of scene when it's like you didn't <laughs> you didn't have to do yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. Because we didn't even t- we didn't even dig into like how it, the the back half of it because after Peter's like planning to just leave his family forever and go who knows where and do who knows what he's like yeah like you said he's like i need to say goodbye to uncle ben that prompts a flashback of him fishing with uncle ben as a kid which i think might have i think we've seen this flashback before maybe i don't remember have we we've seen him i think we've seen him fishing but i don't know if we got the lines from him i think i don't remember the lines i think that's what it was i think we've seen the fishing scene but we didn't get the full like it didn't get fleshed out with the lines that's what I like the lines. They're really good. Yeah. So the lines are, did you think things were going to be easy, boy? Huh? Did you? Boy, good or bad luck is nothing, but the right or wrong mix of opportunity, preparation, and confidence. Now, I know you're prepared because I had a hand in that. Son, what you lack is confidence. 
Peter, you can do anything as long as you don't give up on yourself. I like that. It's a good monologue. Yeah. Yeah. Says boy a few too many times, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other than that, it's good. <laughs> yeah, I like him. I like him like adding in like I know you're prepared because I had a hand in it. Like it's so natural yeah. and like yeah, you did. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's ruined because right after the flashback, <laughs> it's so weird. It cuts to like obviously uh. recycled footage of Spider-Man back in a Spidey suit on top of a building. And then, like, also, like, a bridge, depending on, like, the angle and shot that you're looking at. This frustrates me to no end. This is not just, this is not just recycled footage, because there's a lot of recycled footage in these two episodes. (sighs) This is a collage of things that do not make sense next to each other. Yeah. Like, you can't be on a building and be on the bridge at the same time. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. It's like a fan-made, like, YouTube, (laughs) like, thing that, like, someone made, like, out of, like, cut clips. Like, it's... It's like the like show really? is better than that. Yeah, it's better than that. Like, how rushed could you have possibly been for that to be what 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 aired? Like, yeah, and that's why uh, I keep coming back to feeling like there's there. I keep coming back to feeling like there must have been changes that were kind of demanded of the episodes, and they they had to like make do with certain things because I just don't understand some of these little things where I'm like. You're better than this. You don't even do this in your regular episodes, let alone, you know, this huge opportunity of a crossover. Like, yeah. what? I don't. Uh, yeah, that yeah. really frustrated me when I saw it. And I don't I don't think we even noticed it when we were commentating on it. But it was so clear to me when I was watching it this time. Yeah. I was like, you were just on top of a building. And then yeah. it goes back and forth, I think, like twice. It's very, very confusing. It's very confusing. and It's, it's like, a little nitpicky, but it also is super frustrating because it's just it's it's like so much lazier than I would ever expect the show to well, get. There's, there's so <laughs> many yeah, because there's so many times where like the lip sync is off and like the wrong person is talking or like someone is just like complete like their reactions are completely ill timed. Like it happens all the time and it's not even worth commenting on because it's sort of like that's just how this show is it was on a tight budget right. but it's just like so when stuff like this happens we're only calling it out because it's like extra super duper like shoddy and like just should not have happened because it doesn't feel like you're making do with what you got it feels like you're just not doing the full thing yeah yes exactly there's definitely been shots of spider-man like sitting on a building talking like you could have used one of those instead of this yeah. weird cutting thing it's not like they have to worry about lip sync or anything because it's his you know, he's got a mask on <laughs> true use so literally true. any shot of him <laughs> swinging or standing like anything put him next why to bruce this? again yeah put him next Bring to back bruce, bruce again <laughs> like why this it's so uh, baffling yeah this is a Bottom three moments so far, Spider-Man. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Very bummed about it. <laughs> yep. But I think it's probably the worst of these two. I mean, like, oh, I, don't, I don't think they get anywhere near this in the rest of these two episodes. So. Definitely, definitely. We've, we've let it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, after that sort of weird, like, cutting from building to bridge and sort of him <laughs> being inspired, um, we cut to Cyclops and Jubilee flying in the Blackbird over a very beautiful CGI landscape, which appears to be in the Southwest. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't. Again, I don't know if this is sort of a staple of the X-Men show. I don't know if they do a lot of like flying over CGI landscapes, which sounds like such a silly thing to say, but it might legitimately be. I have no idea. I don't think, I think that, the, I think the CGI stuff is Spider-Man. It's I don't like think totally X-Men, a Spider-Man thing. Okay. I don't think X-Men utilize CGI for stuff because they had, a, they had a lot of like painted backgrounds and stuff. Gotcha. In okay. Maybe it was just like an opportunity for them to CGI, it was like <laughs> do something so. different. I don't know. Whatever. I guess so. 
Um, like I said, I really do feel like these two episodes are trying to show off everything they possibly can from both of these sort of properties. So like, yeah. we get to make a new CGI landscape. <laughs> so I don't know, opportunity, I guess. But anyway, while they're flying over this this beautiful Southwest landscape, they receive a call from Wolverine asking if they've seen Beast because wh- isn't this where he was like, he wasn't in his bed this morning? No, no. He says, I wrote this down <laughs> and I commented on it on the commentary <laughs> one too, said it's seen Beast this morning. His bed ain't been slept in. That's right. <laughs> of course you'd know whether his bed has been slept in, Logan. You would know right. that, wouldn't you? Exactly. Exactly. Well, this is this is strange to me, and I'm very curious to get your take on this, because mm-hmm. Gene then stops by to ask why Wolverine is so concerned. And Wolverine has what I think is a totally normal, good response, which is he's been acting weird lately. That's why I'm concerned, mm-hmm. which to me is a good reason to be concerned. My friend is acting differently than usual. But Gene responds by saying Wolverine, of all people, should understand that not everything that we feel is expressed outwardly, but doesn't say the next part, which I think is, so don't be so worried? But I don't understand yeah. why she would be telling him to not be worried. It was very strange because I was like, what is Gene trying to say here? <laughs> like, so, like she- I, I think on the surface she's trying to say, like, it's okay for Beast to, like, have feelings and not necessarily share them all the time. But it's a weird response to I'm concerned because my friend is acting strangely. Yeah. And we end up knowing that like Wolverine's instincts are right. So it's strange because I'm not sure what we as an audience are supposed to be getting from Gene's interjection. Here's, here's the thing. Well, first of all, Wolverine specifically says that Hank is normally solid as a rock to his friend who he knows his bed hasn't been slept in. So, good point <laughs> there you go but i what so it seems yeah it seems like she's like responding to like his first the first thing he talks about and not like the second thing he says and i think that they were trying to establish one of like the four different themes of this episode because i think that that is a through line throughout it that comes up a couple of times but then is like also out of focus at a p- couple points is the idea that it's like you don't necessarily know what someone else is going through. Like you don't know what their pain is and you don't right. know like, what their thought is because that plays into like the, re- the reveal with Genevieve later on. You don't know what's going on inside of her and everybody is kind of making assumptions about everyone else. Right. Right. About what's going on. So I feel like that line was put in there to kind of establish like, this is what we're going to be like addressing going forward. But then it's just like, first of all, like it, you're, you're right. It doesn't like make sense in the context of them having a conversation and trying to like make Wo- Logan feel better because it's not going to <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Like your friend that you're worried about, he probably has a lot of inner pain that he's never telling you about anyway. Bye. But right. so are you going to apply that he like went to like kill himself? Like, I don't, what are you saying right now? Like it's, or even if, <laughs> even if not something that drastic, like even if it were just like, a, he needs some time alone. Mm-hmm. Well, he also just got captured. Like, so Wolverine's instincts are actually correct. And you're, yeah. it's almost like you're telling him to like calm down when he's right. And I know that we are the ones that know, but from sort of a perspective, like it doesn't feel like Gene is a character that we're supposed to understand as being wrong. You know, like sometimes you have characters where you're like, oh, we're supposed to know that what you're saying is incorrect. She just is incidentally wrong. And so it doesn't something doesn't line up to me. But I do think you're right. It's 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 in line with one of the themes. It just seems out of place within the episode. It's weird because she is she is. Yeah, she's saying something that is supposed to be like really makes you think, huh? But like 
it, yeah, you're right. It's at odds with what the actual situation is. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, but, but yeah, but Wolverine should go <laughs> look for his friend. Like, he is yeah. actually in trouble. That actually has very, like, it kind of has a little bit to do with the, the inner things he's not expressing, but that's not the real issue here. Right. <laughs> and yeah. And she's not a scapegoat like the Avengers are in the, in the Marvel anime, right? Like they're, they're intentionally made to be wrong here and there to make a point. Right. I don't think that's what they're doing here. <laughs> no, it's just like, yeah, there they needed to be a, like one more line, but I think they just don't have time. They don't have time yeah. to expand uh, on stuff. Just make a Spider-Man X-Men crossover series, 1995. <laughs> make Gosh. a part, think, uh, part three, just a part three, I feel like would have <laughs> solved so many problems. Yeah, true, true, very true. Uh, but money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Always yes. money. Yeah, so we know that Wolverine is right. So he still attempts to track Beast. He, like, uses his, like, special <laughs> smelling powers because he obvi- he's, of course, going to know no Beast's scent. And he does smell that Beast was with Spider-Man and a bunch of guys he's never smelled before and immediately comes to the conclusion that Spider-Man must have, like, set a trap for Beast and got him kidnapped. Yeah. I don't know why Wolverine is so, like, has such a hate on for, for Spider-Man, <laughs> but... The only reason I can think of is just that, like, he really did insult mutants, and I feel like Wolverine's mm. temper is, like, just like a switch, and he just hasn't let it go, I that's guess. That's true. No, I think that that's fair, actually. Like, Spider-Man made a really bad first impression, and he's... and, and Especially if Wolverine is already self-conscious about his relationship with others based on him being a mutant. Yeah, and he's, like, super going to be super extra worried about his boyfriend disappearing. So, True. like, he's Facts. just in a very high state of emotion right now. Mm-hmm, so I can mm-hmm. buy it. <laughs> Question. Mm-hmm. Do they ever plainly state where the presentation is happening? Because I oh. initially thought it was at the Brand Corporation. I thought that's they... what Beast, like, said specifically, but... But do, do they, this jumps ahead just a moment, but, like, don't they leave the presentation to go to the Brand Corporation? Hmm. I think they do. Okay. <laughs> they do. But yeah, because if he was just, uh, yeah. So I don't really know where it is. I just sort of at this point, I'm like, maybe it was ESU because that's a place where things happen. <laughs> I Although I guess it could be at like the Hardy Research Foundation as well. But I don't think they ever state any of those things. So I'm just like filling in a blank. <laughs> maybe Brand Corporation has like an annex or like a, like multiple locations. Like, And this is their presentation building and but then like, like beast, beast is held at like a separate research lab that yes. brand corporation owns yes there's a research campus and there's like a business or sort of public facing campus yeah i don't know whatever peter's waiting for the demonstration to start with someone named cecily do we know sure. cecily nope okay didn't think so um and cecily calls mutants freaks and muties a number of times and we're sort of to understand that like muties is a, a derogatory term um, <laughs> it's a rude thing to say yeah and Peter is like, wow, I never thought that you, this character I'd never interact with, would be what racist? Zen- xenophobic? I, I, I say xen- I would say xenophobic. I, I think, think that's the probably the best one. Yeah. Xenophobic against mutants. And then in a very, very funny moment, he literally <laughs> runs away from her. <laughs> like sprints. Which doesn't like make any sprints. sense until you realize he's like racing to get to his seat uh, in the audience. <laughs> Still doesn't really make a ton of sense, but it, I I guess that's why. It's just so funny. Like, like you're xenophobic? I can't be near you. Run away. <laughs> Which, hey, that's what we should do, really. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, he finds his seat in the audience and Landon begins the presentation. He explains that the Brand Corporation is on the verge of being able to manipulate mutant DNA, which is something that was previously impossible. Um, he gets like science jargony and basically says like DNA is what it boils down to is DNA is too tiny for us to mess with, <laughs> but we've figured it out. That's yeah. that's what it boils down to. Mm hmm. Of course, before this presentation concludes, Hobgoblin attacks. Um, worth course. noting, you don't see him, like, blow up the ceiling and come in. He disappears, <laughs> which implies that he, like, flew his glider through the Aww. main entrance. <laughs> Everyone was so enthralled to be at this presentation and totally wrapped up in everything Landon was saying. Yeah, yeah, I guess Just so. didn't notice. Sure. <laughs> Either way, he's there. He attacks Landon. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, he's there. That's the Hobgoblin, isn't it? It about sums him up. (laughs) Oh, boy. At least he, like, kind of, at least he's not, like, the center of the episode. He's just, like, there. True. (laughs) He attacks Landon in the auditorium. Um, So, you know, Peter's going to suit up to save Landon um, and attempts to stop Hobgoblin. There's a little bit of a fight sequence, and he nearly does with, like, a dropkick that, like, prompts the Hobgoblin to toss a handful of pumping bombs. (laughs) Um, Of course, like, he's going to, he just always throws, like, a ton of them um, and then flees, um, which is, you know, starting to cause the, like, roof to cave in. Um, Spidey is, like, doing a bunch of webbings to keep the ceiling together, uh, but he fails. But just when he thinks it's going to collapse on top of him and kill him... Something like magically, supernaturally, telekinetically Hmm. keeps it up intact long enough for Spider-Man to escape. I have only one thing I want to say about this moment. Okay. Just in the similar vein to like Peter dashing off away from this Cecily character and it being like, what are you doing? When Hobgoblin appears and everyone starts freaking out, everyone runs out of their seat except for Peter, who just sits there for about <laughs> 15 seconds to be like, huh, huh, okay, You're yeah, the um, one. <laughs> I should do something. <laughs> it's so funny watching everyone run away, and then there's an entire frame of just Peter sitting alone in the in the audience. It's amazing. The one person who should, like, <laughs> leave for a moment, who is usually the one to constantly run away and, and have come the back. quickest reactions. Super-powered reactions. <laughs> like, it is so funny. I love it so much. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to screen grab that at some point and just meme the hell out of it. It's just totally sitting a, in an audience alone. <laughs> totally a mood. Total mood. <sighs> so funny. I also, I guess I have two things. I mentioned this in our commentary, but if you didn't listen to that, I really love the scene where he's trying to quickly repair the ceiling. It's very sort of reminiscent of movie sequences where he's trying to sort of like very quickly and acrobatically repair something like the boat or sometimes just buildings mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or like quickly whipping webs when he's on the train sequence. I just, it's very cool. It's a very, yeah. very, very cool, uh, well animated seen in an otherwise not super well animated couple of episodes <laughs> yes yes worth calling out when things are good yeah so spider-man arrives at the other brand corporation <laughs> the research campus the research campus <laughs> he arrives at the research campus sure yes we're going with that uh-huh, uh-huh he arrives there to be sure that hobgoblin hasn't followed landon there Inside, Beast wakes up in an electrified cage hanging over a giant 
cartoonish vat of chemicals, <laughs> bubbling green chemicals, like uh-huh. the most stereotypical vat of chemicals that you would ever see in your life mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. is hanging over them. Um, and he finds Landon present. We, we, we find out that Landon has been using Hank's old research or the research that he and Hank did together, apparently. They were working together to like find a cure for mutancy. So that's kind of an interesting reveal that like, beast at one point didn't want to be a mutant hmm. and then we get some a little bit heavy-handed stuff where he talks about purifying uh the human race and shares his intent to use beast as a test of his intended method i think in this sort of like um villain monologue i think he even says and maybe i'm looking too much into this but i think he says purify the human race once again I was oh, like, oh, God, you're gross. Yikes. <laughs> you're super gross. I'm pretty sure he says once again, um, or at least again. <laughs> like, yeah. ooh, Landon, you are a problem. Yikes. Yikes. Yep. Well, outside this research campus, Spider-Man sees Hobgoblin making his way towards the Brand Corporation research campus <laughs> mm-hmm. and stops him before he can arrive. Um, Hobgoblin reveals that Landon has been paying him to keep Landon's plans a secret, which is hilarious because he then immediately spills that secret <laughs> to Spider-Man, like the whole thing, and says <laughs> that Landon intends to eliminate all mutants, which, gosh, he is paying you for doing a very bad job. <laughs> I don't think Hobgoblin's particularly good at anything. Uh, nope. <laughs> no, he's not. Um, <laughs> really bad at most jobs. <sighs> also, also, when he's flying through the alleyways, the like very, it's like, obviously it's CGI alleyways because yeah. it's a show, but it's like Windows 95 maze screensaver <laughs> CGI that he's flying through. Amazing. That's so good. I wish they had just actually used it. Right? That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Blows up the like the start the start menu and the that yeah. shows up. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess they do uh they really want to show off their CGI, you know? They just yes. want to show off what they can do. And I, you know, Famously, I'm not a CGI hater. I'm usually a CGI advocate, but my gosh, I appreciate what y'all were doing, but yee. (laughs) 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 Okay, well, (laughs) in any case, uh, Spider-Man attempts to remove Hobgoblin's mask, which I think he's, he says this weird thing about like, I don't believe you, but maybe I would if I could look into your baby blues or something like that. Strange. I don't know. He's about to remove Hobgoblin's mask. I'm guessing this is just sort of like playing on the whole Hobgoblin identity mystery thing. Yeah. That really has no place being in this episode, but we get it because we've watched all of them, whatever. But he doesn't succeed in doing that because Wolverine interrupts to accuse Spider-Man of being the one to capture or at least assist in the capture of Beast. Yes. Not the creepy goblin person that's right next to him. Sure, it's probably (laughs) Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, also, Spider-Man uses like a clo- like the clothesline like technique in the alleyway to yeah. stop Hobgoblin, like the same one that gave Harry amnesia in in Spider-Man Three. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of cool. It was, like, it, it, I mean, you know, uh, that's that's it's one of those things you don't really see very often. So it was a cool use of his webbing in this. Yes, indeed. So now that Wolverine's there, Hobgoblin's like, I'm out, guys, peace. And he escapes as the two begin to clash. But then he's like, 
hmm, but how could this benefit me? And he sees them like tussling and wrestling on the ground. He pulls out a pumpkin bomb and announces his plan to blow up both Spider-Man and Wolverine. And that's when we smash cut to to be continued. <laughs> yes. Or freeze frame, I guess. Will he blow them both smash. up? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, we freeze frame it on Spider-Man and Wolverine, like, like uh, uh, running towards each other, ready to, like, ready to, to yeah. punch each other in the face. It is cool. It's a cool freeze. Like, I do like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, like, a, almost obligatory for, like, a superhero team up. They got to have some reason yeah. to fight at some point. Like, that's just how it works. That's what we always yeah. see at, at one, <laughs> one point or another. Doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, like, permanent. Doesn't have to be, like, the main crux of it. But just, like, they're going to have a reason to fight. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, faces the episode first. We'll do the, the, final, the, uh, the final thoughts. Not really faces, just like weird things. We get a glimpse of these super mutants that Kingpin is talking about that he's going mm-hmm. to design with Landon's formula for something that is shown for like 2.5 seconds and like never used again, <laughs> as far as I know. These are the most overdesigned dudes. Wow. Wow. I mean, what is a super mutant if not an incredibly buff, 10 strapped, flame shoulders, horns on the eyes, blue underwear? guy yeah he's (laughs) he does weirdly remind me of like the 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 actual same name super mutants in fallout like they're giant yellow guys so maybe maybe maybe, because i feel like the first the first one and maybe even the second one probably might have been out by this point i don't remember when they first that it came out interesting but it could just be a coincidence too because you know super super soldier something it's going to be a buff something guy and these shows yeah. love having multicolored people so why not be a yellow guy he's also wearing like a, a leather harness it looks like like uh-huh, uh-huh. what is what is what i don't know <laughs> i mean straps and pockets minus the pockets <laughs> <laughs> like it's cool i guess but mm, you someone put a lot of effort into that i guess <laughs> yeah someone had a lot of fun you know yeah yeah you know what props if you're having fun with that that's yeah. cool this probably was i'm sure this was not a fun show to work on so when you can have fun fun i'm glad they can have fun yeah other screen grab this is just uh hobgoblin uh being a little voyeur watching the boys tussle in the alley spider-man and wolverine just rolling around with each other on the ground yeah, they're definitely fighting body parts are very entangled and hobgoblin is enjoying it Yep, 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 nothing going on here. Just some good old-fashioned alley fighting and not sex. Nope, not at all. Not at <laughs> all. Not at all. Hmm. Not, uh, a, not a love triangle happening in this episode whatsoever. Strangely really good composition, though, that grab. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. actually a really good composition. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it's not an angle that you get from this show normally. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> so part one of this, we've we've seen both of these, obviously. Yeah. You can listen to our thoughts on both of them in general. They weren't, I don't feel like they were super positive when we first watched it for the commentary, um, but it was we also a little chaotic. confused at many points. Yeah. And I mean, I, it was a ter- these were a terrible pair of episodes to do commentaries on because it's so much is happening and they're not very well cut and they're confusing things. But now that we've dissected at least the first half of it more, like what are general thoughts on this 
first episode. Sure. Well, I mean, we certainly dove in pretty deep at certain points throughout the episode, but I think that the sort of core of my feeling is that they had a really good story here. And my suspicion is that it gets very complicated and messy and cluttered by the fact that they're trying to showcase two shows at once. And one of those shows features like a whole cast of like eight people. Mm -hmm. And the other show has something going on that's like pretty important and involved. So I think it's just a matter of trying to do too much, but I don't know, not, not having the room to really grow what they wanted to do i don't know it's 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 difficult because some of the themes are so strong some of the character development is so strong Mm -hmm. and i like i said earlier i want them to strip away a bunch of stuff but i just i would i feel bad asking for that given the opportunity that they had yeah there are mistakes though that are unforgivable and if they had just addressed those things i think i i wouldn't be as conflicted as i am because those are the things that really make me wonder, like, what was going on? You know, like, yeah. if it were just a matter of too much, I can handle that. Give, you know, pack it from beginning to end and I'll I'll unwrap it. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll get it untangled and I'll appreciate what you have going on here. But, gosh, some of the mistakes are a little, little rough. Yeah, it's like we – I feel like we're generally pretty forgiving on this podcast overall. Like, even when we, we'll point out, like, nitpicky stuff, like, for fun. But – for the most part, it's sort of like, yeah, you can still enjoy it anyway. And I think this is one of those cases where it's like, there's just a lot of stuff. And, and if one of one thing, like if like the one weirdly cut scene was gone, or if like, even if the writing was still kind of choppy, if the animation was really good or vice versa, even if the animation was still really bad, like if the writing was just tightened a little bit more somehow, yeah. one way or another could have worked. And I think it has just has a little too much of the bad stuff to kind of clutter what like has a really good core to it. And I really, like I said earlier, I really appreciate the ambition of pretty organically like weaving this into the story arc that they're trying to build right. in this season of the show. I think it's like a well time, like it's a good timing for this crossover. I think like the way that that Spider-Man like starts interacting with the X-Men makes total sense. Um, like I think the way that their worlds collide all makes sense like narratively and in concept. It's just like, yeah, like too many pieces and too many things that just kind of clutter that and make it like really hard to to dig through to like get to that gem that's at the center of it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. There's good stuff in the middle there. Definitely, definitely. And I think there's still good stuff in the episode after this too, but it's also a lot of the same problems too. So yeah. But I don't know, maybe we'll maybe we'll maybe we'll find a, a a greater treasure at the end of that one. A mm-hmm. treasure, maybe we'll find a treasure as bright as Canada by the time we get to the end of the next episode <laughs> as we dig through it. We'll see. Not nah, it's impossible. Canada's too good. Too pure. <laughs> too pure. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Well, if you are looking for more treasure, we think we've got it for you over on our Patreon, where we have some more stuff going on that wouldn't normally end up in our feed. So um, if you go to patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers, check out what we have going on. That is a way for folks to support what we're doing and keep us doing different types of things. Right now on our Patreon, our patrons are able to listen to um, some extra content. They get their episodes a little bit earlier. Folks at the $5 level also get our commentary episodes where we are a little less edited, censored, and a little looser um, and cover shows 
that wouldn't necessarily fit into our regular sort of Spider-Man feed, things like the aforementioned RoboCop and other stuff, Spider-Woman, Beast Machines, things like that. Um, So if that is something that sounds like it is up your alley, check that out. Um, We recently did some restructuring um, and we're pretty big fans of it. So we hope you are too. Yes, yes, definitely. In the meantime, if you'd like to find us individually and get to know us a little better, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. Find a combination of commentating about different types of media and stuff and also shitposting most of the time. So <laughs> one or the other, you'll find something that you'll like. Um, I post selfies on there. If that, that that will interest some people, like one or the other, you'll find something that you like on there yeah. or, you know, you'll mute me instantly. One or the other is fine. <laughs> <laughs> you can also find me on YouTube under my show, Second Chance. It's a video essay series that's looking at uh, uh, ostensibly bad media or things considered bad, looking at it from a positive lens and trying to kind of dig into the intention and why people who like them might like them. What about you, Doug? You can also find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. My shitposting game isn't great, but if I get some new followers, I will work on it. Um, (laughs) You can also find me on Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network, where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon kind of just as we feel like it. Um, It's a new year, and we are probably at the tail end of our Sword and Shield stuff. But the nice thing about those games coming out on the Switch is that they're able to do some new things that will have us revisiting them time and time again. So um, check out all of our stuff over there. Cool, cool, cool. And if you'd like to follow Walloping Web Snappers, you can on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod. You can find our faces of the episode and other images, clips, and and, uh, and fun little things on there. You can also communicate with us there or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. We welcome any feedback, thoughts, fan art especially, any anything that you'd like to send us, we will always welcome it. Speaking of like feedback, you can also rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. We would love it if you could do that. That really helps us out with being found um, by people who are searching for Spider-Man shows, because there are quite a few of them, but none of them do what we do exactly. So um, help people find us by, uh, by rating us at the very least, but doing a review would be helpful as well. Next week, we are continuing our X-Men two-parter as Spider-Man helps Beast and Wolverine have the reunion boyfriends deserve. (laughs) And also, like, a lot of body horror. Yeah. It's great. I'm excited. And that's going to be next week in Mutant's Revenge. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. See you there. Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You're about to listen to another proud presentation brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off of your order.